everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Premeditated. It's premeditated, you guys. Premeditated. I'm just going to say it over and over just to really get it in your head. Yes. Getting those skull cavities. Well, thanks for coming back, guys. I know we left you on a cliffhanger last week. I really hated to do that. And like I said, we tried to. Well, no, I'm not. We didn't. We, no, it was, we didn't. It's quit lying to our listeners. Try. I'm sorry, but we were just so busy. Life <laughs> is busy, guys. And we do this as often as we can with our schedules. Today, I was going through the park behind the firehouse. Okay. You know, like I do. Yeah. With the dogs. With the dogs. With the dogs. Behind Especially the on the days that, that they're watching oh. the dogs. <laughs> you know, I make sure it's like Tuesdays at 3 p.m. No, like, no. It's... <laughs> So every Monday at 10 a.m. Oh my God, Kate literally knows. No, every Monday at 10 a.m. They have their PT and they run that loop around the baseball field. Shirtless, right? Shirtless? Shirtless. I mean, a couple of them do it shirtless. Uh, They're pretty soaked. (laughs) But I don't know if that's it. But uh, so I did briefly see them at the end. I didn't plan my whole walk around it, but I made sure sure. I popped the tail Kate. I should be reported. But <laughs> I, um, well, good thing there's a police station right there. <laughs> right They there. probably know you. They're like, the girl with the curly brownish red hair is back again. She's got the two large dogs. Yeah. Yes, over, over. Oh, my God. What so strange. Where are those women? Like, yeah, we're literally we the weird ladies in the neighborhood. We're like, like I'm sure. And you know that park been. is not good news for me anyway. <laughs> ever since I passed that woman with her small child. Oh, that's right. And, and I said, I meant to say, because Edith got really excited, my dog Edith. And I said, oh, she. what I thought I said was, oh, she loves little girls. But what came out of my mouth was, I love little girls. <laughs> and then I realized, I, but I mumbled it. The woman literally sprinted. The woman sprinted off <laughs> as fast as possible. I swear, I thought the next day that my picture was going to yeah. be up in that park, like a sketch. <laughs> like this crazy woman. You're like, Keith passes him. He's like, huh. That looks like my wife. <laughs> oh, that woman. Seriously. Oh, you know who else loves little girls? Oh my god. Don Miller. Yeah, Don Miller. That's true. So let's loop it back. Let's bring it back here. Oh my god. All right. So last week when we left off, Don Miller had, well, he was a suspect in um, the kidnapping disappearance of Martha Sue Young. But then after that, we had a few other disappearances as well with Marita Choquette, with Wendy Bush, and then with Christine. Okay. So the first one was Martha Sue Young. Martha Sue Young. So that was the girl that he was, that was his girlfriend that broke yep. up with him. Right. But- <clears throat> So let's go through. So we had Martha Sue Young, who okay. was the girlfriend, okay. um, who like first one. We had uh, Marita Choquette, who was had gone out for drinks with her friends, right. was going to go to um, work at the radio station and didn't show up and went missing from at that point. Radio station. Her okay. body was found. Marita's body was right, the one under that was all found. The yep. Then we had Wendy Bush who was, she was the good student, but her parents wanted her to drop out of school. Right. She didn't know what she wanted to do. She was supposed to be at work on June 28th. She didn't show up and was reported missing. And then Christine Stewart, who was the teacher. Who took her car in. Exactly. 
broad daylight, woman thinks that she saw a man with a knife. Yep, potentially stabbing her. Stabbing her. Exactly. Okay. So you have those now. four, those four uh, individuals. Now, oh my God, there's more. Yes. So, so three days after uh, Christine Stewart, we come to the attack on Lisa Gilbert and her brother, Randy. And her brother? Correct. Oh, that's different. So let's talk about Lisa and Randy. They were young. Randy was 13. I'm sorry, I can't recall how old Lisa was, but I think she was 16, 17, maybe. Definitely under 18. They were uh, living with their dad and his new wife, their parents had recently divorced and they had a typical brother sister relationship, sort of like a rivalry that day. So on, on August 17th, 1978, uh, Lisa was in the house and was getting ready for dinner. Randy was out fishing. And so she went out and like, as you would have done in those days, like just Randy dinner, you know, time for dinner. Sure. Went out and called for him. She typically would you know, prepare dinner for herself sometimes if her dad was out or if her parents were out. That night, for some reason, she just, like, wanted Randy to come in. She had some, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's some intuition or something like that. But she, out of the blue, like, unlike any other time before she called Randy to come in for, for dinner with her. Something gave her the feeling yeah, she needed. It's so weird how yes. that, yeah, I've had intuitions like that before. Um, so yeah, she, and you always listen to it. Exactly. Like, We've talked yeah. about this before. Like listen yeah. to your gut. Yes. Like your gut is a real thing. You know, there's yeah. a reason that you should listen to it. There's a reason that we have it. So yeah, your intuition, <clears throat> your gut. All you have to do is uh, do yoga and do the crow pose and realize that your gut's definitely there <laughs> and, and what she's if like if you're unsure if you have a gut try painting your toenails in a humid summer day yeah in the bathroom your gut's there your i gut's promise there. Your i gut's promise there. right gut. after you take a shower <laughs> and you haven't bothered to cool down yet it's it's a process it's like i literally have to choose between breathing or being accurate and like, which do you choose? Like- I am not accurate at all. And then I take <laughs> nail polish remover on a Q-tip and like afterwards. So you do what even, you got to do. There's even more bending over. But I'm like, I can't hold my breath that long. I guess <gasps> you I don't get have dizzy. It. Yeah. Right. And we don't want to, we don't want to get there. And you don't want to be dizzy and fall. I mean, there are some things that could happen. If I you mean, get you get dizzy. nail polish everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So and we know what happens when I fall. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> anyway. So- so, so yes, yes, intuition. She, she trusted her intuition. She had this gut feeling like that she wanted her brother to come in that night. So she called for him. And while he took some time, he did end up making his way to the house. Okay, that's good. So between when she called for him, though, and he got to the house, a man came to the garage door and asked Lisa if her dad was home. So she didn't think that this was that bizarre because they had recently like redone their house. And so they had a lot of contractors coming to and from the house, in and out of the house. So she thought it was just some contractor. And it's 1978. Exactly. It was 1978 and it was the daytime. It was before it was, it was like, I think it was around 4 PM. So it's just yeah. like early in the day. She's not concerned. She talked to this man for shortly. He said, you know, I I'd like to speak with your dad when he gets home. When will he be home? And she, she told him, she's like, Oh, oh he's not going to be home until after six. Shoot. And so he says, Oh, well, you know, I want to write my phone number down so he can call me when he gets back. So she's like, well, hold on. I need to go in and get something to write, write the, your phone number down on. So she, you know, starts walking in the house and the man followed her in. Of course. So he follows her into the house and he puts his arm around her throat and he had a knife. He brought her into her parents' room. Trigger warning. This does involve sexual assault. Um, The man brought her into her parents' room and laid her on the floor and he tied her hands behind her with nylons. 
He gagged her. He tied her feet together with a necktie. He put a shirt over her head so she couldn't see. And he laid her on her stomach and he raped her. Oh my God. The shirt over the head. I know. Just like everything. Like her feet are tied together. Like she lose your sight. Her literal entire body body. was tied together. She didn't have any senses because like her face was covered. And he uh, sexually assaulted her. That is the biggest violation. Uh, That's awful. That's awful. So on top of it, he put a belt around her neck. And while he was raping her, he began choking her. And she was bound, so she couldn't get away. She was just moving about. And, I mean, her nose was bleeding. Her her blood vessels were popping. She literally was was choking to death. And he was pulling so hard that the belt ended up breaking. And as the belt broke, she gasped for air. And at that exact moment, Randy, her brother, came in the house. Oh, my gosh. Randy came home and, you know, the belt had broken. She gasped for air. Randy comes inside the house and he comes in and sees the man coming out of his parents' bedroom, like looking for something else because the belt had just broken and this man had a knife. And again, Randy had the same thought that uh, his sister Lisa had, which was... Maybe this is just a contractor working on the house, like something yeah. going in and out. It's not like that bizarre. People have been in and out of our house for quite some time. And the man greeted Randy like, hey, how are you? Oh, what a fucking psycho. And, are you serious? And did so so he could get close enough to Randy and grabbed Randy and said, where's your bedroom? So he grabbed him. He, Randy had, you know, he had the knife against Randy and said, where's your bedroom? And the man forced Randy up the stairs to his, his bedroom how old was Randy? Um, Randy was 13. Oh, okay. So he's just, Randy's he's just, just a, a baby. Uh, and so, I mean, Lisa was a young kid. She was, you know, 15, 16 years old. Yeah, they're just kids. Oh, and so God. Randy was forced to his bedroom and the man sat on top of him and started attempting to cut Randy's neck. Like, oh can you my imagine? God. Like his throat? Yes. Oh. Can you imagine somebody sitting on top of you and like literally being like, just sit still and like trying to cut your throat. And were his, was he was restri- his hands? Were yeah. Restri- so I think I'm not sure. It didn't say he had tied him up. Um, but he's just 13. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, if he's sitting on top of you straddling, so your arms are like down by your sides, but Randy kicked the knife away. And that's when the man started to strangle Randy. Randy basically passed out from being strangled. Right. And the man thought he may have killed Randy, but he stabbed Randy just to make sure that he was dead. So he thought that he had killed Randy okay. by strangling so he him. He, okay, okay. He wasn't, you know, just to be sure though, he wanted to stab him a couple times just to be sure. Meanwhile, so, you know, the man is on top of Randy, strangling him, um, trying to stab him. Lisa was able to loosen the bindings on her feet and she got the shirt down from her face. And she made her way to the bathroom to hide. As she was hiding, she just had something to say, like, you need to run for it. So once again, that got that intuition. She was like, get the hell out of here. So she made a run for it. Completely naked. She (sighs) made her way to the front door, unlocked it, and she just started screaming bloody murder running from the house. Now, a man named James Reagan was on his way home from work when he sees a naked woman running out of this blue house in his neighborhood. He could see that she was bloody, had something around her neck, and she ran up to his car and yelled, help me, help me. There's a man in there trying to kill my brother. So she can, she just, Kept running. She articulated what yes. was going on. So she ran at his car, screamed at him, and then she just like keeps running. Probably because she's terrified and like 
So she, she's probably not, just not all oh, there. Oh, yeah, you're in you shock. Know? Yeah. And so um, this man, James Reagan, like, stopped his car, saw, told a passerby to grab her and keep her safe, and Reagan pulled in the driveway and headed in for the house. Um, so she continued running, and Reagan told another car, like, please grab her, you know, keep her safe. Meanwhile, Reagan is in the driveway heading into the house, and a man just casually walks out of the house. Now, Reagan asks, like, is there a boy in that house? Like, what's going on? And the man's like, oh, yeah, he's in there, but he's fine. And Reagan was like, you're going to wait here while I go inside and make sure that the boy is okay. And he's like, okay, cool. And, like, the second Reagan turns his head to start walking and the man just sprints off. Well, of course. Reagan, like a badass, chases him. So he gets chased. He chases him. The man jumps in his car, reverses out of the driveway as Reagan and Reagan's like grabbing the door handle, like, no, like literally trying to keep this man from driving away. And the man did end up driving away, but not before Reagan saw his license plate and he memorized it. Oh my God. Everyone in this particular part is amazing. Yeah. So like Like, he memorized it and he was like GMV 588, GMV 588. He kept saying it to himself over and over, literally out loud because he's like, I cannot forget this, but I also need to go and like check on this child. Um, So Reagan got inside and found Randy and he could see there was like, there was blood everywhere on him. Oh. And Randy looked up at him and he goes, he hurt me. (gasps) Oh, baby. I know. (sighs) So Reagan went back into the yard to try and find help because he could not find any phone in the living room. And he was just in a panic. And now at this time, another man is driving by the house. And this was a fire chief. This was the fire chief. His name was Duran. This was the man that James Reagan was like, grab her, keep her safe. That man just happened to be an off-duty An off-duty fire fire chief. chief. Oh my gosh. Um, so he knows first aid. He knows like emergency yep. response. She probably has a radio in his car. Exactly. He yes. Does. He does. Once again, Lisa is in his car saying, please help me. Please help me. There's a man in there stabbing my brother. And Duran is like scurrying to untie her. And she looked over her shoulder and like saw them, saw this man who had just attacked her racing out of the house, driving away in the car. So she's like looking over her shoulder, like please, like naked and, and had, oh. I mean, just been raped and, and just like, violated thinks her brother's dead right and she sees the man just like coming out of the house and and running away so duran like you said had a a radio in his car so he calls the police with his radio now a third car comes by and this one was driving lisa's friend and saw what was happening and pulled up behind duran and they also they saw the the person get in his car drive off and we're able to like, get a description of what the guy looked like, what his car looked like, all of that. Good. So, so there's three people who saw the guy, you know, they got the license plate. They know what he looks like. They saw him run off. So three separate witnesses other than Randy and Lisa that know what this guy looks like. I mean, talk about people being in the right place at the right, right time. Exactly. So it was just a bunch of good Samaritans people who like really paid attention. So the police arrive at the scene. And like I said, Lisa's eyes completely bloodshot. Oh my Her God. Her face was completely red. Randy's covered in blood, but he's alive. They did a quick search uh, for the vehicle's license and found that it was registered to Don Miller. That motherfucker. So, and so the name, all the police quickly were like Don Miller. Like we all know who he is. He's the guy we're that we very think. familiar. He's the guy that we all, you know, think is involved with the Martha Sue Young disappearance. And so his name was very well known. The police called the prosecutor, which is pretty common in situations where there's an eyewitness or any, any crime scene. A lot of times, you know, a prosecutor will right. come down to the scene. The district right. attorney will come down and, and like assess the the scene and and whatnot 
And at that time, the prosecutor asked to speak with some of the witnesses just to get an idea of what they saw. The prosecutor spoke with Reagan, who was the first uh, gentleman you know, on the scene to help out Lisa and, and Randy. And he described Don Miller to a T. Oh, yeah. So the prosecutor's like, I mean, look at the picture uh, of that yeah. fucker. Like, yeah. Like, that, yeah. there's no mistaking what he looks it's like. It's not That's... like, oh, he's six feet tall, he's white, he's skinny, he has brown hair and a beard. No. Like, no. And they quickly did a lineup, and Reagan once again immediately identified Miller as the assailant. So, at the same time, police are across town staking out the apartment of Don Miller's girlfriend at the time. They are able to quickly arrest him. So, the police knew that Don Miller had a girlfriend. She what? was, I know, they they knew because they'd been st- keeping an eye on him for since for a couple of years since Martha Sue Young went for everyone, I guess. Right. So like, since Martha disappeared, they had been keeping an eye on him. They knew that he had a girlfriend. So they headed on over there. And it was within moments of them getting there that they saw Don Miller pull up. The police is- officer, I know, the police officer saw him and was like, I need to make this arrest right now. I should call for backup. But like, I don't know what he's going to do. So he didn't call for backup. He pulled up you know, behind Miller, drew his gun and said, get out of the car and, and arrested him on the spot for uh, the assault. So if they, Mike, I have a question. So yeah. if they had been keeping an eye on him since Martha Sue Young, are they putting all these murders together? I don't think that they were necessarily, I think that they maybe had some suspicions, but I don't think in general, they thought that they were right, all Which connected. would make sense that they wouldn't because the MO wasn't the same. Right. Like it wasn't. Uh, well, I, so I think that they, they were make, taking mental notes. Like they had made note of like, okay, there was this one day where he was scrubbing his car and like the inside of his car. And okay, that corresponds with Marita Choquette or, you know, so I think they were making mental notes and like, okay, these are suspicious, but not. Again, there was never enough to arrest him or, you know, or any sort of cause. Bring him in for questioning, though. Remember, he had lawyered up. Like his dad was like, I'm sick of talking. So at first, with Martha Sue Young, he was willing to talk all the time. But then he got a, like his dad got a lawyer for their family and the lawyer was less, you know, pleased with, with just like the yeah, free that makes, that discussions. Makes sense. I forgot about that. So that so, makes yeah. sense. So I, so they're like, why would we bring him in if he's not going to tell us anything? Exactly. So they ended up preserving the car as evidence and they impounded it to the police garage. They found, you know, after doing a search of, of Lisa and Randy's home, they found Don's fingerprints all over. They found foot impressions, semen, wheel impressions that oh also connected it to connected the assault to Don. When Don was arrested, he acted super relaxed. He claimed he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just he had been shopping before he was arrested, and he just he was act he acted very aloof. Like, well, what what could this possibly be for? Don had scratches on his hands which he claimed was due to working on his car. But police officers asked like, hey, listen, several people recalled your license number tied to this rape and assault. And he, you know, he was like, maybe the license plate was stolen. Maybe, you know, it was a mistake. Maybe a number was off, but just a list of excuses that were not believable. At this point, like after kind of a very brief questioning, Don did ask for his attorney. So he he asked for, to speak with his He's attorney. He's like, my daddy Jean's gonna yeah. be so mad at me. Daddy's gonna be mad. Daddy's gonna be mad if I don't get a lawyer. Oh, man. So Don's car was searched. You know, they got a search warrant for his, his car, his body, and his house. In his car, there were tents. There were was several pairs of clothing. He had some toe chain, wire. Oh, my God a white jumpsuit and rubber rubber gloves so full-on hazmat suit yeah oh, there were also you know in, within the tent there were human hairs that were not his there were many fingerprints that weren't his hairs under the headdress that were not his 
Um, and then there was a map of Michigan with a bunch of circled <gasps> cities. Oh my God. So they searched John's body as well, which was, you know, they showed the, they, he had scratches. Um, they took, you know, s- samples of blood and, and saliva and stuff like that. And then they also searched Don's house pretty thoroughly. They took two days to like comb through the entire house and they found some women's nylons tied in a knot, which is very Ted Bundy. But also yeah, we talked is. to like he brought to Lisa and Randy's house. He tied nylons, nylons. Around, around her around her neck. And so he also had several creepy ass drawings because I remember in his letters to Oh Martha, my God, he, he do, used to send her those. He used to send her creepy drawings. And there was like a drawing of a blindfolded woman. There were mar- newspaper clippings of Martha and Marita. There was a disposable jumpsuit, handcuffs. There's a tin box full of nylons. There was a shovel with hair on it. So just oh, a bunch of creepy, creepy a stuff. a shovel with hair on I know. it? So it was just very obvious oh. he was a creep. He, and, oh, my God. And as the police knew since, you know, the disappearance of Martha Young, he was a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Don was arraigned. Pretty much immediately, Bond was set at $100,000, and Miller was housed in the local jail. That first evening, he spent with an inmate, and they had a very interesting conversation. So the inmate said that Miller stated that he had done away with his ex-girlfriend, and he talked about what things would have been like had he not stabbed the boy, meaning Randy, and just left when... You know, when he was walking out of the house. Oh, my gosh. Now, the inmate had no reason to share this information. He wasn't getting anything for it. He had already been sentenced. He was there, like, merely on a transfer. So he literally was getting nothing for this. So unlike many jailhouse snitches where they're like, give me a deal. He was like, no, I just want to tell you about this fucking weirdo that I had to talk with. Police have evidence, obviously, connecting Don to Martha Sue Young, his girlfriend. Yes. They also found the newspaper clipping. In the in his house, which was for Marita Choquette. Marita. In addition, with like the weird praying hands and like her being covered in stone, they had already thought like maybe with his his kind of bizarre religious background. So they had a couple different ideas that he might be right. tied to Marita. Right. But then we still have Wendy Bush. Right. And we still have Christine Stewart. Okay. That they're like trying to tie him to, okay. or figure out if perhaps like right. trying to figure out if he's involved. as you would when you have bodies just showing up. So. They take a look at Don Miller's time card for the days that Wendy Bush and Christine Stewart were missing or had gone missing. And when they were reviewed for the day that Wendy Bush went missing, he didn't log in until late that morning. And he claimed that he had a flat tire that morning. See, uh, that's what I was wondering was like, I know that I know that they didn't question him because he just lawyers up right away before um, before the the girl and the and her brother. But the incident with the girl and her brother. Yeah. But I was wondering, like, has anybody asked him for an alibi? Yeah, or like, has like, anybody asked him any questions? I don't think they had. I don't think they had questioned him because it was like too far fetched to think that he was involved in. I just don't think that they, they, he see, he just judging from his picture. He looks very unassuming. Well, so and you're like, he, like, yes, he, like, he is a very well-known suspect for Martha Sue Young, but that was a, that was that a was completely it. different situation. That was it. That was that it. wasn't like a random person. That was right. a person he was very close right. to. So after the police found this, this sort of evidence that he had logged in to work late the day that Wendy Bush went missing and 
he claimed like I was late because I had a flat tire. Well, they went and looked at mechanical records and also the the tire itself and found there was no evidence that the tire had, had ever gone flat or been repaired. So that was a lie. You know, oh. like, they were like, he didn't ever repair that tire. That tire is like, I think it was See, the original tire and never been repaired. Such a dumbass to think like nobody's going to follow up on any of this shit. Right. Like, so Don Miller's parents were also interviewed about what he did on the day of August 14th, which was the day that Christine Stewart went missing. Okay. His parents stated that he was asleep until about seven in the morning and then he headed to work about 9.15. However, the police told Don's parents that he hadn't actually punched into work until like closer to 11.15 or 11.30. Mm-hmm. And Don's dad, Gene, was actually surprised. He was like, oh shit, okay. Gene also mentioned, you know, with regards to what Don had been doing the days leading up to the 14th, he said Don had told him that his muffler was damaged and he had needed to go get it repaired on, on Saturday, August 12th. And he said he did. Now the detectives asked the technician at the repair shop what had happened. And the woman said that the muffler had been totally removed from the vehicle. So it was a complete repair. And this was two days prior to Christine going missing. So they were like, it was a huge repair. We did have to, you know, take out the muffler completely. Now on the work slip, the mileage of the car was noted. So this was two days prior to Christine going missing. The okay. mileage of the car was 40,064 miles. So 40,064. Okay. Um, now between August 12th and August 16th, when Don was, you know, when the car was impounded, um, Don had driven over 400 miles. Some police estimated that he should have only driven roughly 90-ish miles during that time, like going where he said he had been going to. So they were like, a lot of stuff isn't adding up. So, you know, with regards to Wendy Bush and Christine Stewart, you know, they've got the time card. They also have the mileage on Don's car, right, which the shows mileage. the mileage on his car, which shows that like around the day that Christine had gone missing, that his mileage was like, you know, insane, insane. And also the gap around on August 14th when he, you know, his parents said he had left the house at 915, but he didn't actually clock in for two and a half hours after right. Right. So we've got a little bit that's starting to kind of weave its way into the story work. And then in addition, police put together a lineup and that neighbor witness who witnessed Christine being essentially right, who said, I thought I saw a knife and, and yeah, I right, thought right. I saw her being stabbed. So that woman was involved, you know, she, she watched, she looked at a lineup and she positively identified really Don as the person. Yeah. She so knew she knew. Then. So she positively identified him. Oh, that's horrifying. In the middle of the day in a business district, she walks around a corner and <sighs> just gone. Yeah. So like I said, uh, Miller did have a girlfriend. Janet was her name. Janet. Not a ton of information on her, but they apparently. Janet, you're thinking about your know, life choices. Janet, now. I know. Yeah. So Janet and Don met when Don was a youth counselor, which is like, ew, gross, creepy. He was a Considering counselor. the gross. religious clergy that's in this town. Yeah. Like, the oh, quality. Right. The quality is, is terrible. Yeah. We got like, one man <laughs> that calls, like, the parishioners well, manipulative manipula bitches. bitches. We got Don Miller, who apparently they'll take anyone. So yeah. if you want to be in the clergy, you could also go be to East Lansing. Yeah, literally yeah. they'll take anyone. Whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever. Like everyone, just send their cast yeah. offs to Lansing. <laughs> to Lan- East Lansing. That's where you go. So apparently they were also unofficially engaged to be married. Oh, yeah. well. He did fool Martha Sue Young. You know, he wore her down. Yep. And he could have very well done the same thing. I mean, maybe he he gave her some really nice drawings. Yeah. <laughs> he probably drew some really great high quality of her pictures. Blindfolded her blindfolded and bound. <laughs> like. 
So Miller's, you know, he was arraigned. He was charged with the assault and attempted murder of, of Randy and Lisa. At this point, the argument that the defense is making is that Don Miller is not competent. Are you like, kidding There's me? something wrong with him. Well, clearly. He claims he can't remember anything. He's like, I, oh, he one of those blackout anything. things. Yeah. And so Don said he was, you know, his, him and his defense what attorney say he's not competent. So the determination for competency is whether somebody has the necessary mental faculty to understand understand that they were being charged with the crime and if they have the ability to cooperate with their defense in a reasonable manner. It was quickly, the, oh, yeah. the court was quickly like, no, you're competent. We're, you're competent <laughs> to stand for this preliminary hearing. You're a psycho, but um, you're competent. Right. And so he was competent to stand for the preliminary examination, which is where they determine whether or not there is probable cause for the charges to be you know, brought. And so the preliminary examination took place on November 17th. And like I said, that's when he was formally charged with rape, assault, and attempted murder. Bond was denied. Because they were like, you're not... We don't, yeah, we're not letting, we're not letting you, letting you, out. Out, you fucking creep. <laughs> However, there were no charges for any of the other murders. It was only, they were only charging him at this time with the rape, assault, and attempted murder. Right, at this time, Randy. though. Like, what they could, right. have, they could get enough evidence. Now, between the preliminary examination uh, in November of 1978 and when trial actually started in the spring of 1979, the police did end up collecting enough evidence and the prosecutors did end up putting together enough evidence where they were actually able to indict him for the murders of Martha Sue Young and Christine Stewart. So they were, he was indicted for those two murders. But not Wendy but or not, Marita. Correct, not Wendy or Marita. So on February 22nd, he was indicted and he wasn't indicted for first degree. He was indicted for second degree murder because premeditation is very hard to determine. And they had so yeah. little evidence yeah. for all of them. But it's like they had, you know, a little bit more for Martha and Christine. I mean, they have a jailhouse confession. Right. It was still a jailhouse confession. It was, it was still like very circumstantial. Like Christine was the only evidence for Christine is really that witness. Like that was literally the only thing. And yeah, like because, maybe because a time, you know, the time difference between when he said he left the house and when he went into work. Because they no body, no crime, right? Right. And like, there were no bodies other than Marita's. Other than Marita. I mean, I don't know. So trial for the rape, the assault, and the attempted murder for Lisa and Randy starts in 1979. And obviously there was a ton of evidence for these crimes. Like, right. There was, oh, yeah. There I were mean, fingerprints. There were semen. There were eyewitnesses. Is, but despite all of that, he refused to plead guilty because he is <laughs> he's an arrogant he's, Yeah, and he claimed he was like, I don't remember anything. So he his defense was he claimed that he was suffering from multiple personalities. He claimed that he didn't, he would black out. They said, you know, he'd black out, he doesn't remember, he can't recall anything that happened. Well, I got news for you, bud. Um, one of those personalities is a murderer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the other ones, we're not too sure that yeah. they're that great either. <laughs> So, in fact, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty not. sure. So his attorney did make a motion to have him assessed by a psychologist who, surprise, surprise, found that he was totally sane and oh, in yeah. fact had a high IQ yeah. and said he was just trying to manipulate them the whole time. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so that did for honest <laughs> professionals. Uh, so he claimed he like throughout this, he's like, just felt shocked when, you know, claimed I was so shocked when I heard what I had done. Like, this isn't yeah. me. This, you know, and then they were like, bullshit, you're an idiot. Yeah. 
So after uh, prosecution and defense had presented their cases, the jury deliberated for literally just a couple of hours. And on May 9th, 1979, Don was found guilty of rape, assault, and attempted murder for Lisa and Randy. So Martha Sue Young was New Year's Day, 1977. So literally first day of 1977. Okay. And then he's convicted in May of 1979. Correct. Oh my yeah. God. So like truly two and a half years. Can and you imagine women? how, no, but that's Mer- just that we right. suspect. Right. Like he didn't stop. I mean, and with the rate that those girls were disappearing. Especially at the end there, they were yeah. like one every, every three couple weeks. Of months. It was yeah. like Martha and then like, then within like a th- couple of weeks span at the end and then Marita happened and remember Marita went yeah. missing and then two weeks later her body was found. Right. And then the day after her body was found, yeah. Wendy, Wendy Bush. Yes. And then just like a few, a few days, days later, later Christine. Christine. Yeah. But I'm saying in between Martha Sue Young and Marita, in that space, yeah, whatever it was, exactly. nine months or whatever, there's more. Yeah. A hundred percent. If the guy can get agree. a girlfriend after he's already killed four right. women. Like, Oof. yeah. And on May 30th, so a few weeks later, he was sentenced to 50 years in prison with a minimum of 30. Oh my God. And he's what? 30? Yeah, he was by that point. Yeah, barely. I don't barely. even think. Don't even I don't think. think so. Yeah, like late twenties, thirty years. So yeah, he can get out and kill again. And so, so the sentence great. was very light for the crimes. Oh yeah, um, and so light, in fact, that Miller actually refrained from any appeals because he knew that by appealing, like although there were some appealable issues, he thought that it would be likely that on appeal he'd get more time. Oh, so the story doesn't end there. Oh, He's God. not. We're not done. So. Don Miller's attorney wanted to get information out of Don to help resolve all of the cases. Cause he's like, okay, we've got one body, Marita. Yeah. You, you're not, you won't admit to that. Yeah. We don't have the body for Martha. We don't have the body for Wendy. We don't have the body for Christine. Where are these fucking women? So they and what happened to Marita? Yeah. And so Don Miller's attorney was like, this is a really good opportunity for us because, you know, because they have the two. So he's been charged with the murders of Martha and of Christine. So they have that trial pending and they know like, listen, the evidence isn't great, but, but there's evidence and there's a chance that you're going to, you know, yeah. you're, you're going to be so charged they can or use, you're going to be convicted. They can use the whatever information that he might give them as leverage. So they're like, yeah. we could approach the prosecutor with a plea bargain if <sighs> we... I understand why there's plea bargains, but... This plea bargain is, is rough. So, uh... <laughs> So Don Miller's attorney was like, let's get as much information out of Don to try and resolve all the cases. And Don continued to pretend that he didn't remember. He's like, I don't remember anything. And they're like, okay, Don, like, let's try hypnosis then. I was just going to say that. And so they did. And so that's what they did. They put him under. They hypnotized him to, quote unquote, try and get some information out of him because he didn't remember. And of course, it worked. Oh, my God. So, he agreed to that. Yeah. Oh, so, dummy. I bet. The, I bet Daddy Jean doesn't doesn't like that. Right. So the prosecutor agree. Like after speaking with the defense, the prosecutor's like, "Listen, I will give you a week to present me with evidence that, and and after that, I'm going forth with the prosecution. There will not be a plea deal on on the table. So you have a week to give me any any solid information." And at that point, like after that point, we're, you know, we're yeah. not, we're not going forth with the deal. Um, and that's when, you know, they did this hypnosis, which, because <laughs> obviously, I mean, I think Don saw it as like, yeah, this is probably the best case scenario. Cause if I, if I can get some sort of deal. Yeah. I, but, but instead of admitting it and thus 
proving that he knew he was trying right. that he was manipulating by saying he had multiple personality disorder. He right. was like, well, hypnotize me and then I'm not responsible for whatever exactly. information I give you. A hundred percent. So <sighs> he was just still being a manipulative prick. Um, so he went under hypnosis and he confessed to all of the murders oh. on July 13th, 1979. He also said that he would bring the police to find all of the bodies. All of the bodies. Yep. And the plea agreement was that Don would plea guilty to second degree murder for Christine and Martha. He would say he was guilty, but mentally ill with regards to Christine's murder. And he would say he was guilty to voluntary manslaughter in Martha's murder. He would also admit that he killed Wendy and Marita, but he would not be prosecuted for their murders. Oh, how so he would admit to four murders. Feel? So he did say the prosecutor did get the okay from all of the families okay, to make this well, deal. Because they just want closure. Yeah, they I think they're like, closure. I want her body. Yeah. Like, if he's going to go away forever, they're thinking like, he'll go away forever for this. And there was no evidence. Yeah. Like, they had nothing. They'd been investigating this hardcore for a year and a half and had nothing. Yeah. I, so yeah. I think at this point I they were like, how let's that. just get him put in prison yeah. for something. Yeah. So he brought police to the bodies of Martha, Wendy, and Christine. Oh so Purgis State Park, which is a giant park and was essentially dumping ground for lots of victims. There have been lots of bodies found in this in this park in, in Michigan. Attributed to other killers? Yeah, attributed to other okay. killers. But the first body he led them to was Martha's. So Martha had just, dis- you know, disappeared in 1977. And then in July, 1979, he helped to locate her body. It was just a skeleton at right. that point. Her skull and her arms had been dislocated from the rest of her body, but they think it was probably postmortem Animal. animals. Many of her teeth were missing from her skull. They think that was either during the struggle or some sort of signature. So Don admitted to strangling her and that's what the autopsy confirmed. The strangling... She was strangled. There were no, there was no fractures or penetrating or cutting injuries. So they didn't think that she had been stabbed at all. They think it was just strangulation. And the dental records were compared and they were able to positively identify the remains as Martha's. Makes you wonder about the blood in this car that he blamed on her period. Yeah. Like if he didn't punch her in the face. Oh, right. And like or if the teeth are missing. So maybe, yeah, maybe he, yeah, he tried to incapacitate her. the dashboard. Something awful. So the second body he led them to was Christine. And Christine disappeared August 1978, shortly before he was arrested for the assaults of Randy and Lisa. Christine was located uh, on a drainage ditch near a farm. She was face down. Her body was obviously very decomposed because it had been almost a year at this point. Was she buried or at all? She wasn't buried. No. <sighs> her skull had been separated from her spine. Her teeth and finger bones were missing. The autopsy showed that there were faint cut marks on her ribs as well as a fracture in her lower back. They thought that that was indicative of stabbing. Right. So they thought that she had not just been strangled, but also stabbed. I wonder if he was, okay, this is so dark, but I wonder if he was keeping teeth as a souvenir. That's, I mean, that's, uh, I thought the same thing. Because if teeth were missing in, in a lot of Because animals don't take teeth. Yeah. They also believe that based on some of her injuries that she may have been struck by a car near the time of her death. So they think that maybe he literally ran into her to- Hit her with his car. Hit her with his car to get her. So that was Christine. And now the third body was Wendy Bush. And again, Don 
admitted under hypnosis. hypnosis that he killed her. And he actually explained what he had done to Wendy. He said that he pulled up to Wendy as she was walking along the side of the road uh, at the MSU on the MSU campus. And apparently they kind of knew each other a little bit, which again, it's like interesting that police didn't discover that. And she, she was the one that like knew lots of guys. Like she yeah. was just a friendly outgoing gal. And apparently Wendy and Don were talking in a friendly and Don said sort of flirtatious matter, which yeah, I don't believe. Twisted and Don got pissed off at her flirtations because he's a creep. And so that pissed him off and he strangled her. He brought her body to a hidden area, took her clothes off uh, and left her. He threw her clothes out and then he left. So talk about wanting to humiliate your victim even more. Right. Just, just gross. And again, just like the other, some of Wendy's teeth were also missing. Yep. I bet so he was doing, I bet he was, he was collecting teeth. Collecting teeth like a, Weirdo. Someone's in an old house in Lansing, Michigan is going to look in their attic and they're going to find a tin box. Oh, God, you're right. Full Ugh. of tea. Or they're going to move a floorboard. Yeah. Some poor little kid's going to think he found a hidey hole. <laughs> and he's gonna find a some, hidey hole. He's going to find some toy soldiers. And then some drawings of Jesus. And, and then, then some teeth. And then some teeth. That's Probably exactly. a blindfold. So a lot of people you know, look at this. I'm like, what the hell? Why did the prosecutor make this, this terrible deal? Yeah. But again, despite all of the years of active investigating, there was so little evidence to go off of. And and he honestly didn't think there was going to be enough to indict well, Don yeah. for Marita and Wendy's murders. And that the evidence for Martha and Christine was so minimal, he was not confident that he was going to get a, a conviction. That's how the fucker kept doing it. Yeah. And he thought, you know, he he's like getting away with it. He's like, finding the bodies are to these families is as important. Yeah. And so let's, let's do what we can do. And, and, you know, I just hope for the best. So yeah, this is honestly the worst. He was sentenced to only an additional 15 years in prison. So 45 years minimum. No. What? No. What? He was sentenced to an additional 15 years of prison. With the 45 that he was sentenced to, the possibility of parole was after 10 years in prison. Oh my God. It gets crazy here. The, 10 I, years for a fucking nut people job. People get more, more, like people get longer for possessing weed. For like, peeing on a sidewalk outside yes for literally anything yeah shoplifting yes 10 years 10 years so parole potentially after 10 fucking years so his um, first that's... up for parole in 1989 thank god it was denied because everyone is like this guy's a fucking crazy man he'll do it again he will a hundred percent do it again oh yeah a hundred percent so he, you know, is in prison. What is his life like in prison? So he goes to group therapy in prison. So sex offender therapy. And he at at that, you know, at some point during his therapy admitted to the murders. Or one of his and, personalities. Yeah, one of his it. personalities admitted yeah. to it. And he said, Martha was the first person that suffered from his anger, is how he put it. What? He claimed that the following murders were essentially just reenactments of Martha Sue Young's murder. Which I could which believe, sort did, of. Yeah. But... Marita was stabbed viciously, and so was Christine. Yeah, well, and Randy and... Yeah, Randy and Lisa. Yeah, how did they piss him yeah, off? Yeah, uh, what, like, what, what, what anger... What set him off on that? Right. Like, it was, no, you went to their... You hunted them, yeah. asshole. I hope you're listening to this. Yeah, I hope you're listening to this, Dawn, because he is still alive, and he's still... So he admitted to his crimes and said that they included rape, some prior to 
and some after death, like Ooh, a disgusting necrophilia. Oh. In addition, during therapy, he admitted that during his childhood, he had sexually assaulted his sister growing up. And remember earlier, oh, I, I asked, was, how I was, close, how close were they? And I and I said not that close, but that's not true. They absolutely were that close. And Ooh, when she started me. refusing his advances, like he got pissed, and his mom actually had to step in. Which, thank God she did. Like, that's what you do as a mother. So, during his prison stay, he also worked at the prison newspaper. He was generally an okay inmate. What does it take to be an okay inmate? Like, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you here in a second. For most of his day, he didn't have any sort of, like, infractions or anything. He worked at the prison newspaper for most of the time. That being said, his roommate considered him super dangerous. And he was known to just hate female correctional officers. Oh, my gosh. So in 1994, so great. So remember, 1989 was the first time he could apply for parole. It was denied. So remember, he was, you know, sentenced and he's in jail since 1979. First time he could apply for parole was 1989. It was denied. But the maximum term due to his good behavior in prison would allow him to be released in 1998. Despite all of his charges, convictions, being a disgusting, creepy murderer, he was set to be released from prison in 1998 because so of his ni- good behavior. 19 years after he was convicted. Correct. That is insane. So that's insane. So 1994. So this is like a little bit of a backstory. So 1994, uh, prison officials are doing a shakedown while the inmates are, I don't know, at lunch or something. And they go into Don's cell and they find two shoelaces tied together with some some wooden handles at the end. A garage. And they 100% were like, this is a garage. There were many, like I said, many female correctional officers that were super creeped out by him. And they were 100% like, this guy is going to hurt me. He's going to try to hurt me. Yeah. And this was absolutely, there was some plan to injure a female correctional officer. Don claimed it was a drawstring to tie his prison coat. <laughs> and What the? That doesn't even make sense. No. And he claimed, he's like, well, I can buy those shoelaces. I bought those shoelaces at the commissary. Like, I'm allowed to have shoelaces. And they're like, yeah, but you're not allowed to fucking make them into a garage. <laughs> you're allowed to have, you a-, can have a toothbrush. But you yeah, know, I was going to say that. <laughs> And you can so, have soap, but you can't hide a razor in it. So there was an administrative hearing, like an internal disciplinary hearing in prison, which removed his like good behavior status. It transferred him to a higher security prison. And so it essentially just added an additional year onto his like maximum. So rather than getting out in 1998, because of this administrative hearing, he was going to be released in 1999. Which is still too soon. Which is still... 20 years. That's disgusting. So he was like, 1999 is coming close, you know, and he's getting ready to get out of prison. His parents are like, okay, come live with us. He's planning on going and living Put on your parents. good jeans and come on out. But everyone is like, this guy can't get out of prison. Like right. all of the like correctional officers, police officers who worked on the case, like the prosecutor, all of the families are like- Women in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like this, you know, community are like, this guy can't get out. Yeah. And so they're like, he's getting ready. He's going to, he's going to terrorize Lansing again. And everyone's like, he cannot leave. Yeah. So this group, this community group gets together and it's made up of the victim's families. It's made up of literal police officers. It's made up of correctional officers, just people who are like concerned citizens, like, right. And they're like sitting there brainstorming. How can we get him to not 
leave right. prison? Like, how can we get keep him there? Well, you could kill him. That's one thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that was option one. That but was they were like, uh, I am a yeah. police officer. I can't, I can't say we should do that. During this time, there was a appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which was arguing the constitutionality of a Kansas law, which which says that sex offenders can basically be confined to mental health facilities like indefinitely. No, I have heard of that. Yeah, it's, it, people and rightfully so, there are some great arguments for that being like you're being held without any due process because right. your sentence says you should serve five years, but then you are being held indefinitely. So, I mean, there, there, there are some, there, you know, there I'm are sure some there's, reasons. there's pros and cons to both. Well, there can be arguments for and against because I could see, I could see how that would be. It's, or like, and it's due, pro- it's, it's a due process issue. It's that you're, you're being held without any sort of due process. They're right. like just saying, well, until you are deemed healthy, whatever that means. And so, you know, there are different levels of sex offenders. There were, so anyway, we don't need to get yeah, into that, yeah, yeah. but but there was during this time they were like, okay, well maybe you know we can we can somehow draft some sort. They were literally like, let's draft legislation which will allow for him to stay in prison. They like they were thinking, they were like working hard to get this done. Now during this time, the group in digging through prison records and all of that found out about the garrote. So previously they didn't know because it was just an administrative, you know, internal prison thing right. that happened. Right. Um. But the group found out about the garage and they they saw their opening to keep him in prison. They were like, okay, this, we're going to contact the prosecutor. And while he was, you know, this was just an administrative internal prison thing. Right. He could be charged for this. Like he could be charged criminally for, for having, having a, weapon. a weapon in yeah. prison. Yeah. So they contact the prosecutor and the prosecutor's on board. He's like, yes, well, we're doing it. Oh, that's awesome. So 1997 uh don is charged with possession of a weapon in prison and in 1998 he was convicted so there were arguments about yeah like i said like he was like well i can own the shoelaces why is this a problem and they're like it's not about the shoelaces it's the fact you made it into a garage so he was convicted like i said in 1998 the jury convicted him and the judge sentenced him to an additional 20 to 40 years in prison. Oh, finally. I know. Like there's a lot of times where I'm like, there were <sighs> lots of, there's like prosecutorial misconduct. You know how I feel about prosecutors. This is one of those situations where like the prosecutor did not have to charge for this. Probably could have got like, absolutely didn't, but did because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, it was like, so they're not all bad. Yeah. But I mean, again, this does also, I will say like, <laughs> the prosecutor has a lot of like this is a, lot, a lot of, of power. power. Yeah, they like have a they lot of power. literally that prosecutor had in his or her hands the decision of whether or not to keep a human being in prison. And, and they thankfully, use their powers for yeah, good. thankfully in this case, but like think of a situation where like eh, someone's been wrongfully convicted, exactly. And they yeah. So okay. Yeah. Anyway, off my soapbox. You guys all know <laughs> how I feel about that. But anyway, so the he was sentenced to an additional twenty to forty years in prison. So. His discharge date what will still be 2031. <laughs> so he still will be getting out of prison nine years from now. And that is, that is still, he's still allowed to apply for parole in addition. He's never gotten it because he's a fucking weirdo and no one ever so can imagine So he's going to be him. like less than 80 years old. Right. Yeah. He will be less than 80 years old. He will have killed four people, tried to kill another two more. 
and will have only spent, I don't know, what, like 50, 50 years in prison. But I think he killed more than four oh, people. Oh, right. Yeah. I agree. So in 2019, Don Miller wrote a letter to Rod Sadler, who is the author of the book. And I don't think, I feel bad, I mentioned this on our Instagram post in, in the show notes, but the book that I read and did most of my research from is called Killing Women, The True Story of Serial Killer Don Miller by Rod Sadler. It's a great book. It is thorough. I mean, it goes deep. And this, like the amount of information in this book, that's why, I mean, literally I've got 20 pages of notes and I had to cut it down. I went through and like cut it. So it is a thorough book. Honestly, more information than I think you were right. Worth a read. Yeah, but it's absolutely like, it's more information than I would have ever needed to know. Uh But of course I enjoy, I I love the details. So I love it all. Yeah. But uh, Don Miller actually wrote Rod Sadler a note in 2019 or a letter and he was like, not showing any more more oh, of actions, course not just justifying saying he had repressed his feelings of frustration and anger with martha and all of those repressed feelings caused him to act out in the way that he did he also quoted the bible pretty extensively so he's just i mean i'm not sitting here saying he's a healthy mentally fit person no i don't think he has multiple personalities i do obviously think he is suffering some mental illness he's a narcissist but, yeah yeah but he I also think he knew what he was doing and did it because he was, I mean, yeah, he was, he guilty. knew what he was doing. Yes. He, yes, he very well could be mentally ill. I think all of us are mentally ill. I don't yeah. think any of us do not no. suffer from some form of mental illness. Yeah. That doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. We're all fucked up. We're all fucked we up. We all have our things. Not all of us kill people. No. So, yeah. So Don Miller has applied for parole nine times and been denied every time. The last time he applied for it was 2021. I think the next time he can is like 2023 maybe, but I doubt. highly doubt he will get approved for parole because he's a fucking psycho. Well, and he's remorse. never shown remorse, exactly. right? He's- like some of these guys have fooled the parole board because they've they've faked remorse and this guy's not even gonna go that far no he's he's not remorseful he's a fucking creep like I, you look at pictures of him he looks like a fucking weirdo yeah he looks like somebody who you would not want to be like passed in an alley at night he looks like a creep and he is a creep and so well i only saw the one picture of him but so that i was when he was young you should see him now just wait wait till you see the pictures of him now he just looks like a fucking creep oh so don miller guys he is still kicking it still trying to get parole still being a freaking weirdo that is crazy yeah after killing all those women so i mean r.i.p you know christine and wendy and marita and martha and and i didn't look up to see what what randy and lisa are up to these days but i'm sure that they're being badasses and like doing great things and being I mean, awesome you survivors. Hope so, but I you, hope so. You can't really blame them if not. No. Like, that really fucks you up. But that, I mean, and RIP to the victims we don't know about. Yeah. Because I guarantee you there's more. I agree. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Because he didn't like, he wasn't shipped overseas. Like he continued to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, at least a year of quote unquote, nothing happening. Mm. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. So that is the unfortunate story of Don Miller and the East Lansing killings of the late 70s. Yeah, if you guys are hiking around Michigan parks, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. And if you have an old home or if you happen to know somebody who lived in um, uh, Don Miller's, like, previ- like, lives in a home that Don Miller previously inhabited, 
Look for the teeth. Yeah, look for the teeth. Look for the teeth. And tell us. I want to know when you find we the teeth. We won't take all the glory, yeah. but seriously, where <laughs> are the, are the teeth? teeth? Where are the teeth? He's got them buried somewhere. Or he uh, ate them. Oh, gross. <laughs> you had to go there. You know He's what a I hate. He's a creep. Of course he ate them. Sure or, he neck- or he made a necklace. <laughs> or a bracelet. A tiara. <laughs> Oh my God. He 100% made a tiara. Oh my God. I'm so pretty. I'm so pretty. <laughs> okay. We're fucked up. Okay. We are. We are. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, please make sure to like us on Instagram, find us and share us with your friends at premeditated podcast. Like we say every time, tell all your friends, tell make all sure, your friends, make sure you share us. You know, we, we like doing this, but it's fun to hear from people who listen to us that we like don't know of. Shoot us an email. We didn't get any emails this week, guys. Gosh, you know what? Not even, well. not even your uncle. <laughs> yeah, my uncle didn't get emails this week. But email us at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, tell, tell your folks we says hi.